Hello and welcome to your Over the Farm Gate podcast brought to you by Farmers Guardian and the CLA. I'm your host, Farmers Guardian News Editor, Olivia Midgley. Don't forget, we'll bring you a new episode of the podcast every Tuesday. Subscribe through all your favourite platforms, whether that's Spotify, Google, Apple, Stitcher or Acast to ensure you stay up to date with new episodes. On the show this week, and it's straight on to part three of our Preparing for Brexit series, After looking at the sheep and arable sectors, which you can of course catch up on, we move on to the dairy sector. Now it's no secret that many dairy farmers have been dealt a severe amount of pain in the last few months, with some processors cutting prices with very little notice, some with even no notice at all. And this is all because of the huge market turbulence which has come about on the back of the coronavirus pandemic. And of course, next on the horizon is Brexit. More problems to grapple with, even more bumps in the road, or actually an excuse to shore up and perhaps shake up some of those businesses for the future. Well, Jess Fredenberg has been finding out from two people who are truly clued up on dairying. CLA members own or manage around half of the rural land in England and Wales and run more than 250 types of businesses. The in-house professional advisory team offers members independent and impartial advice on every aspect of land ownership And during this COVID crisis, the CLA has never been more important to landowners of any size. To find out more, go to www.cla.org.uk. Hi folks, so we are now on to our third episode in our mini-series looking at how each farming sector is gearing up for life outside the EU. It's just three and a half months now until the 31st of December when the Brexit transition period ends and the UK is on its own. So this week we're looking at how dairy farmers are doing and first we're heading to the Cardiff area to talk to Abby Reader, a farm and NFU Cymru's Milk Board Chair to find out how she's feeling about everything. Uh, my name is Abby Reader. I am a dairy farmer milking 200 cows just outside Cardiff in South East Wales. We have a contract with Muller, so obviously Muller are a, an EU-based company. So my biggest concern would be, what are Muller going to do once we Brexit? You know, how, how is that going to impact them? Are they would they consider pulling out of the UK? I don't know. Um, is it going to affect the pricing structure? So that, for me, that's probably the the biggest thing that I would think about. I I did vote Remain, and I still really stand by a lot of the reasons why I did that. And I I guess I still feel like I don't quite know how we're going to come out the other side. And I'm very much trying to be optimistic, but I still can't quite see how we're going to transition this um and you know i know people say they want something new but i want to be able to keep what i had because it was working and then build on it so i hope that we can you know maintain the the various trading practices that that we've been used to so yeah a bit apprehensive i mean there is so much still to be decided isn't there do you do you feel at the moment like you've been able to in any way prepare for what might be coming or is it just so uncertain that you don't really know what to do? Well, in many ways, it's so far above and beyond what's happening on the day-to-day jobs on the farm. You just can't even really imagine it. So in terms of of preparation, there's not a huge amount you can do other than, as everybody does, regardless of whether Brexit Brexit is coming or not, uh, we're always going to strive for more efficiencies. We work quite hard to make sure we can meet certain KPIs 
which would be important for our milk buyer so that we are of a value to them, you know, just to make sure that we try and secure our our ongoing contracts with, with whoever is buying our milk. But yeah, day to day, there's there's not a huge amount you can do. I mean, as, as part of a farming union, uh, we continue to feed in various ideas and make sure that um, messages are getting back to the all the governments um, about certain areas where we feel we are going to feel a big hit just so that they're aware of them. But that's that's about it, really. Looking at possible agri-environment schemes, do you feel like it's something that you might be able to make use of in your business? Well, I think probably, I mean, the, the first thing to point out is coming from Wales, we don't have elms. We have something called glass tea at the moment, although I, I guess, in essence... They're semi-similar. Um, the move appears to be away from food reduction towards environmental um, goals. And, you know, that that's fine to a degree. It, it makes me nervous that uh, the country doesn't feel, doesn't feel that it's important to protect food production. Um, and also, I guess I, as a, as a farmer, as a producer, I don't really like the idea that a policy is going to dictate how I'm about to run my business for the future. Um, I embrace the opportunity to do anything to enhance the environment. I do worry about how on earth we're going to value it and then pay for it. Uh, you know, how, how do you pay for clean air? Uh, how do you measure that? So there's various things like that that keep crossing my mind. I mean, you're, you're chair of um, NFU Cymru on the, the milk board. What's, what's the mood... What are you getting a sense of, you know, what's the mood amongst other dairy farmers around you? The mood in terms of Brexit, it's, it's very mixed, really. I mean, there are concerns about changes in, in future farm support. And again, if we look at the Wales scenario, we've got a lot of rural development money that hasn't yet been spent in farming and looks like it's not going to be spent in farming. So there's a lot of frustration here. Perhaps if you took the farmers who were Remainers, like myself, um, we might say at least as part of the EU, there would be pressure uh, and perhaps support from the EU to encourage that spend. But as a lever, you might say, well, actually, once we've got more control of of our money, then we, you know, we can have a greater say and a, a greater impact on how that money is spent in certain areas and make sure it gets to the right places. So there's there's lots of concerns about that. But, you know, farm support, it, it, it plays a massive part in our incomes. There's no getting away from it. There's no point feeling ashamed of it. It's part of food production and how it's going to come in the future. No one knows. Do you do you feel, I guess, constrained in any way by the lack of clarity at the moment in terms of farm support and what else might be coming down the line in terms of trade? Yeah, it is. It is really. Um, I mean, if you speak to Welsh government and you say, well, you know, can you give me a little bit of a guidance about what we're going to see and what we can expect? The first argument you'll get back is, well, we haven't had the messages from Westminster yet. We don't know what size the money pot is. So don't come to us because we don't know. There's very much the I feel like that's passing around a blame. That might be a very unfair way of doing it, but I just feel like there's not enough, there's too much of, oh, it's it's not my problem, it's somebody else's, I'm, I'm going to push it onto them. There's, there's too much of that at the minute and not enough planning. Well, what kind of information do you think at the moment would be super useful and what would you then be able to do with it? Well, you know, I mean, obviously there's, we talk about the farm support payment. Actually, it's quite a small part of, of the impact of this. But I guess it's foremost in people's minds because any farm support is going to be directly impacting your income. So we definitely want clarity on that. But clearly, the the bigger issues are over trade. Um, 
I was speaking to somebody the other day who's involved in in poultry, and I didn't realise that the UK is one of the biggest exporters of. Um, I'm going to have the wrong terms now for for someone who isn't in the poultry industry, but we're the biggest exporters of young birds, and they need about twenty four to forty eight hours to get those birds from the UK onto the continent. And is that going to be possible in the future? Because of all the the barriers that these lorries are now going to meet, we're going to have to go through various customs and there'll be lots of paperwork. Is it actually going to be feasible? There's, there's all sorts of things like that. Milk is so perishable. If, if we're exporting it, it's going to be held up on borders. What's, what's going to happen there? So those really big things, it's very hard to imagine how they're going to impact you, but it, it sounds bad. <laughs> well, like you say, at the moment, it's difficult in a sense isn't it those are big things and they're not necessarily feeding down yet to the farm I guess day to day on the farm are you just carrying on as normal or have you made any changes or are you are you hoping to make any changes we are we are more or less carrying on as normal um again if we want to move that focus back to farm support payments I am actively looking at various options for how we could sort of capture some environmental payments. Uh, and it would be quite nice to, to run that alongside our carbon footprint aspirations as, as the British farming industry. So, you know, I've got a few trials in the pipeline of, of various things, which, which may be feasible. But yeah, otherwise, you just have to carry on as you are. What would you say, Abby, if you could if you could walk into uh, to number ten right now, COVID dependent, you know, <laughs> um, and 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 say what you what you thought about the way things were going and what that they should have most in the front of their mind when going back to Brussels in terms of farmers? What would you be saying? Ooh, that's a, a big question. Part part of me just wants to walk in there and grab the Prime Minister by the shoulders and give him a shake and say, wake up. Um, you know, I think it's a case of we fully appreciate that there are lots of conversations going on behind the scenes and lots of information can't be shared publicly for whatever reason that may be. Um, so do appreciate work is going on and there are lots of minds on this. Um, as a farmer, you feel like a very, very small and tiny player in this, uh, almost like no one really cares. Um, so I suppose I'd like to say to the Prime Minister, please don't forget us because you need us. Um, you know, that's, and it's a very small statement to make, but hopefully they don't forget us. Dear Mr Johnson, please don't forget farmers. A message there from Welsh dairy farmer Abby Reader. You're still ploughing on and so are we. Get Farmers Guardian delivered directly to your door every week and access the latest news from the world of agriculture 24-7 through fginsight.com. Simply subscribe to Farmers Guardian. Check out our latest deals at fginsight.com slash subscriptions today. So how are other dairy producers doing as we head towards life outside the EU? Joining me now is Rob Hitch, who many of you listening will know. Rob is a partner in Dodico, where he advises dairy farming businesses, including on tax and accountancy matters. So he is the perfect person to give a snapshot of the sector. So, Rob, you're obviously dealing a lot with with farming accounts. You're you're dealing with them all the time. What would you say is the mood at the moment in dairy farming as we head towards this crucial December 31st deadline? I think, on the whole, dairy farmers are quite 
sanguine about how things will change. Obviously, there's still an awful lot as we hurtle towards the 31st of December that's, that's to be decided, um, not least by the fact that as we're talking this morning, the European Union have flown into London to have a slanging match with the government over the, um, the, the, the bill they're introducing for Northern Ireland. So th there's still quite a lot, I think, to, to resolve. But uh, certainly talking to the clients we deal with, I think most of them are reasonably up to speed with what they expect to happen. Obviously, we don't know which way it's going to fall at the moment, whether there'll be trade barriers or not. But the, on the whole, most sort of are fairly comfortable with the perceived outcome. You know, we know that basic payment will reduce. There's possibly elms. There will be trade issues. Milk prices will be milk prices. You know, the, the, the EU milk price has been dictated by the world market price pretty much for the last 10 or 15 years. Um, and that won't change. So I think a lot of people are, are quite happy. You know, they are in the fortunate position whereby the dairy sector is one of those that is not self-sufficient in the UK. We do have an, an export market, but we import quite a lot as well. So there's a, um, a sort of general consensus, I think, that we're not exposed to the export markets as much as some other sectors. I mean, what about the the current state of um, of farming accounts? You know, regardless of Brexit, you know, what kind of shape are the are dairy businesses in at the moment in terms of you know cash flow as we sort of head towards the end of the year and into next year when when things will start to change and we don't know how at the moment, obviously. Well, I think two thousand throughout two thousand and eighteen and nineteen, um, things have been reasonably good for dairy, the dairy sector. Um, probably 2020 has been okay for a lot, but there's obviously been issues with weather, which has impacted on all sectors earlier on in the year, um, and there's been pricing problems in for some people, but not a, a huge percentage of the, of the industry in a whole, as a whole, um, with the COVID you know, problems early on in the year when getting some product to market was problematical and a lot of people suffered quite significantly. Um, but, uh, but those that have been in, you know, steady contracts, particularly the sort of cheese guys, um, Arla, First Milk, some of the specialist cheese makers, they've carried on delivering quite consistent milk prices um, and that's been, you know, probably un underpinning quite reasonable returns for dairy at the moment. I think on the, on the whole, many businesses have been looking to, you know, how they can drive down costs, but also a, a lot have taken the view that actually in, an under, in a, a UK market that's currently undersupplied with UK produce, um, th there is, you know, probably less of a risk. I think many see far more opportunities from a post-Brexit world. Um, I think if you, you know, for, for many dairy farmers sat on, um, constrained by land, you know, the, there's a, a realisation that actually life might be very tough for some of the red meat sector. Um, and if you've got neighbours in beef and sheep, it might be far more attractive for them to, 
do deals with their neighbouring dairy farm um, and allow some of those dairy farms to actually reduce costs or increase income through expanding their land base, you know, through rental agreements or contract farming, share farming sort of things, or, or just buying and selling land. So I'd, I think quite a few see that as a, a real opportunity. At the same time, we've prob- you know, I always think that when you look at the market now, we're finally in a position whereby um, most of the dairy companies are, are very happy about supply, you know, that, that none of them really have concerns about maintaining supply. And we're finally starting to see some of those dairy companies um, start to sort of give notice to farms that don't tick enough boxes. You know, so some of the farms that are old and can't quite tick the current welfare standards or haven't had investment for 30 or 40 years are finding it difficult to maintain milk contracts. And I think we'll see, a, you know, as, as there's opportunities for some of those um, farmers that want to invest and modernise, then they, they'll do that at the expense of those that don't, as some of the dairy companies will start to effectively make the hurdles so high that they have to get out or invest, and they won't choose to invest. Mm. And, and, of course... I suppose the general context, isn't it, the sort of background is particularly for dairy farmers, increased consumer pressure to, you know, in terms of welfare and environmental standards. So do you think that could kind of combine with the new agri-environment scheme whereby we see more dairy farmers um, trying to really, like, tell their story, tell their sustainability story in a different way and like you say, kind of find opportunities in that? I, th- I think it will. And I think that's already been driven to a large extent by, you know, some of the big players in the processing sector. Arla are driving that within their farmer supply base. Um, First Milk have started doing the same thing. Other processors are doing the similar things. You know, we are... They're, they're seeing the processors are seeing that as the way forward and that's going to drag farmers along with them um, and it will put pressure on some of the others you know so if, if we end up with that sort of change we get change to support we get change to currency and trade you know there's all you just think we're, we're about to approach a time period for, for UK agriculture full stop that's probably going to be the most disruptive we've seen for 40 years um, and actually, you know, there will be people that on the back of that either decide to quit and do something different or will, you know, expand and or modernise the facilities they've got now. How do you think, given, given all of that, say in five, ten years' time, how do you think the dairy sector in the UK might look differently to, it does, to how it does now? I'm not sure it'll look a lot different. I think we'll have slightly fewer farmer numbers um, and again slightly bigger herds as we lose some of the, the, the not I mean they're, they're, they tend to be smaller units but they tend to be smaller because they've never reinvested you know I have two clients who've recently sold up who both milked I don't know 60 cows for argument's sake um, and had had no investment for probably 50 years on the farms well they couldn't tick boxes for modern standards so 
without investing significantly, they will quit. That will, that will carry on happening. And I think we're seeing some... We're also seeing the growth at the other end of some um, still family businesses, but businesses that are actually getting quite large and growing, particularly in the, you know, like the arable sector and the pig sector, we're starting to see that in the dairy world. And I think that will drive things on with some of those bigger um, businesses farming multiple units that are, are just sort of replicating um, systems they have in place to, to make the most of you know, what they're good at, basically. Can you see many opportunities in exports as well for dairy? Because obviously it's something that has been talked about a lot. Um, but right now, I'm not sure that the um, <laughs> the current state of, of things in the UK and the way things are being handled, I'm not sure how much confidence many uh, farmers or, or anyone else will be having about um the future, you know, future trade deals and opportunities there. You know, is it something that you think could really happen, or is it very dependent on who is actually uh, dealing with that trade? I, I think it is. I mean, the, the the thing that will drive exports will be how competitive we can produce product at. Now, the dairy world's been working at world, effectively, world prices for the last ten years. If we can keep doing that and we can put product on the world market at competitive prices, we should be able to grow exports subject to all the tariff barriers and currency restrictions that might have an impact. Um, the, I suppose the, the biggest thing is, you know, we, we do also import near enough half a million tonnes of cheese. Um, now, probably only 100,000 of that is cheddar, but, you know there's probably as much opportunity in import replacement as there is in export and that that might happen by default if we do get tariffs i mean the you know the tariff on cheddar that comes from ireland in a, in a no deal scenario is going to be 1400 pounds a ton wow well, mm. you know that's prohibitive mm. or it would drive up cheese prices in the uk so um there are, I think there will be opportunities, but we can only ever export if we are producing milk at world prices, you know, because the, people have the opportunity to buy it from everywhere else. We, we'll be able to add some value or some provenance value, but essentially I think if we're, if we're wanting to grow a large export market, we have to set our stall out to be able to produce milk at a competitive price. Now, what that might be is anybody's guess. Um, but, you know, we'd need to compete with the Irish, with New Zealand, with the Americans. And I, I have every confidence that, you know, people in the UK can do that, but it needs a lot of support. You know, it'll need government support to drive exports. It will need, you know, trade deals doing that make it easy to access, and it'll need farmers and processors here to actually commit to producing plenty of milk at cost-effective prices. Thanks, Jez. Great insight from Abby Reader and from Rob Hitch there. Price competitiveness and access to those key markets is going to be of paramount importance as we operate outside the EU's trading bloc. Well, 
Well, that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. We'll be back next week with more. Don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcast platform to keep notified of new episodes of Over the Farm Gate and to catch up on previous episodes. From us at FG and the CLA, thank you for listening. We hope you stay safe and well. Goodbye for now. <laughs>